Well, Thanksgiving service, how many of you were here? Most of you? I mean, the place was packed out. Was that not an awesome service? Fantastic service? Listen, if you missed it, you can still go onto our private social network. It's called The Table. If you don't have a log on for that, you can, you can get a log on just by uh, going to, you can find more information on the back table or actually in the bulletin. But if you go on the table, that's where we put all of the sermons and all of the testimonies. I think there were 10, nine or 10 testimonies. They're all right there so you can hear them. They were fantastic. I was so blessed. So I listened to them again and, and I was crying again. I don't, I don't know how that works, but just really good stuff. So this morning we are picking right up where we left off a couple of weeks ago. We are in Romans chapter 5. So I'd ask you to turn your copy of God's Word to that section. If you don't have a Bible, again, grab one of those blue ones underneath the seats around you, flip it open to page 942. That'll bring you right to where we are in Romans. And what I want to do is because it's been, we've had a week off and we've already gone through a couple of points. And by the way, inside of your outline on the left-hand side, there's an or inside of the bulletin, on the left-hand side, there's an outline that you can look to follow along with us. But I want to review the first two points in that outline and review where, where we've been so far in Romans chapter 5 before we look at the third point. This section of Romans, verses 1 through 11 of chapter 5, has been labeled by Bible teachers as the blessings of justification. The blessings of justification. And I agree with that general label or title But to be a little more specific, I believe Paul's primary purpose in writing about the blessings of justification, or you could even say the positive consequences of justification by faith alone in Christ alone, the reason for writing about this is to show why this method is the only one that can truly guarantee a sinner's salvation truly guarantee a sinner's salvation. It is the only one that will completely deliver the sinner from the future wrath of God. And that is why I've titled this entire section, verses 1 through 11, Salvation Assurance. Salvation Assurance. So, now reviewing, going back of what we've already looked at, points 1 and 2, because we're going to cover 6 eventually. We're going to look at point 3 this morning. But going back now to points 1 and 2, I want to remind you, or if you're new, this will be fresh to you, Paul starts off in verse 1 by saying that as a result, as a consequence of being justified by faith, we, that is Paul and his Christian readers, that's the we, now have peace with God. They have peace with God. What that means is they have a permanent relationship of peace with God. The justified sinner justified by faith in Christ. And this, again, is all by way of reminder. They are no longer considered an enemy of God, but rather they are counted or considered a friend of God, fully accepted by Him. All of God's hostility toward us who have been justified by faith has been extinguished in Jesus Christ. Yes, the fire of God's wrath against us has completely been put out, okay? To understand it that way, in Jesus Christ. And peace has permanently been made and declared between us and God. Therefore, and this is all a result of justification by faith alone in Christ alone, therefore we can rest assured 
that God will absolutely keep us from his holy wrath in the final judgment, and he will bring us safely into his eternal, glorious, and righteous kingdom. Now verse 2, and this was the second point, and this was a couple of weeks ago, Paul gives us the second blessing, the second positive consequence of justification when he explains that we who are justified are standing in grace. Grace, biblically speaking, is unmerited, unearned favor or blessing that is freely bestowed or given. And that word bestowed, we said it before, it just means to give something to someone who doesn't deserve it. Freely bestowed or given. Beloved, our acceptance before God is entirely a matter of grace. Of grace. For we are justified by God's grace as a gift. That's what Romans 3.24 says, right? That's what the Word of God says. We're not making this up. This is what the Word of God clearly says concerning our salvation. We don't earn it or deserve it. Otherwise, it wouldn't be grace. And this grace by which we have been saved is now the grace in which we have been firmly planted. The grace in which we stand. Therefore, God continues, beloved, by His grace to keep us right before Him. Okay? By grace, God continues, I'm saying it a couple of different ways, continues to make us acceptable to Him. He makes us acceptable to Him. By grace, God continues to be able to look upon us favorably. It's by grace and grace alone. And we don't move in and out. This is all, again, we said this a couple weeks ago. We don't move in and out of this realm or state of grace that we have obtained or gained access to, but rather, beloved, we remain fixed in it. Fixed in it. Divine superglue, if you will. He has superglued us to his grace. And the place of God's grace is now the Christian's new permanent address, if you will. We are no longer living, beloved, under the wrath of God, although that's what we deserve. But we are not. We are living under and in His grace. And as Christians, those who have been justified by faith alone in Christ alone, we dwell in the place of God's unmerited favor. His undeserved favor. So it is the grace of God, listen, it is the grace of God that secures and continually sustains the sinner's salvation. And knowing this should provide great assurance to us who have been justified by faith because of salvation had to be maintained by us. Yeah. If it was up to us to continually keep ourselves right with God, then any assurance of our salvation would be absolutely impossible. Because we still fail, beloved. Any amens there? We still fail. We still sin. But God, in His grace, maintains our salvation, overcomes our sin. And knowing we stand in grace, and I said this last week, and I, would, I will preach a whole message on this because it's so important, but again, we don't have time right now, by standing, by knowing that we stand in His grace, it helps us avoid 
the error of what some have called performance-based Christianity. Do you remember I talked about this a few weeks ago? Performance-based Christianity. And all the pitfalls, the terrible pitfalls that are associated with such kind of nonsense that people buy into because of wrong teaching, wrong thinking about the Word of God and what it says concerning our salvation. It's not performance-based Christianity. That's not what we do. We do grace-based Christianity. That's what we do. So by that I mean, if you're in that mindset of performance-based Christianity, you are thinking that God accepts me or looks upon me favorably, not solely because of his grace, not solely because of his unmerited, undeserved favor, but rather because maybe I'm doing fairly well to obey him or not sin against him. I'm doing pretty good. And so if you think that's the reason God accepts you, then what that can lead to is a spiritual pride. Let me say it this way, a spiritual arrogance. And then you begin to to look down on your other brothers and sisters in Christ that, you know, they're maybe not doing as well as you at being disciplined or obedient, or maybe they're not as committed to God as you are. And because you think that's the reason God accepts you, that's the reason God smiles upon you, then you start to feel a little haughty among them. And you don't even then have compassion for your brothers and sisters in Christ that are struggling, that are hurting, that are maybe not as far along in the process of God changing them as you are. You start to take some of the honor and praise to yourself. Beloved, this is terrible. It wrecks a church. It destroys relationships performance-based Christianity. That's one pitfall, okay? The other pitfall is the opposite. So if you think that your acceptance before God is based on your performance, and now you're not doing so well, right? You guys have any of those seasons of life where you're not doing so well? Maybe a day, an hour, a week, maybe a month? What do I mean by not doing so well? Where you're struggling with one sort of sin or another, where your obedience is just not what it was a few weeks ago, a month ago, you're, you're, you're having a hard time, right? And if you think then that your acceptance before God is based on your performance, then you're going to say, I'm not acceptable before God anymore. I'm losing at this game. What happens? Joy of your salvation, zapped, taken away. Depression enters in. You begin to resent God. God, why did you make this so hard? God says, I give you my grace, you numbskull. Why are you making it so hard? (laughs) Is numbskull a word? I don't know, because I haven't used it in a long time. A long time, but it'll work. You understand what I'm saying, right? You start to resent God, because you don't have joy and salvation anymore, because you forgot it's all of grace. It's all unmerited, undeserved favor. It's all because of Christ that you have a right standing before God and faith in Him. That's it right? That's what creates joy, beloved. That's what rocks your world for Jesus. That's what makes people Jesus' freaks. You understand what I'm saying? It's the gospel, the pure gospel. But if you start thinking it's performance-based, you're not doing so well, man, you can start resenting God, become depressed. You know what happens then? You start to move away from God. Maybe even you, you stop attending church, maybe kind of separate from the body. You know what happens then? Your disobedience increases. Your sin becomes greater. And this spiral just goes down and down and down into this bottomless pit. So, we don't want to make that error. 
We don't want to go that way. It's all of grace, beloved. We are standing in grace. We're not just saved by grace, but God keeps us in that very unmerited favor. You understand? It's so important. Now, with all that, let's read this section of God's Word, Romans 5, 1 through 11, and we'll look at point three. These are all so good, and they're kind of tied, all tied together. They all complement one another, beginning in verse 1. The Apostle Paul writes these words, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, But we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, the ungodly, the unrighteous. He shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, his death. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Powerful, powerful section of God's Word. So this morning, we are continuing to consider six assertions, six emphatic statements that are true concerning justification by faith related to this teaching of justification by faith alone and Christ alone, so that we who have put our faith in Christ might be fully assured of our salvation. That's what we're doing. And those Six assertions so far, we've covered two. We have peace with God, one, two, we are standing in grace, and three, today, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So the third point, we're drawing that right from the last part of verse two. So I'm just going to read it again, because there's nothing wrong with reading God's word over and over again. Beginning in verse one, we'll just read down to verse two. Look back at your text. Paul says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And here it is. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So, what exactly does that last statement mean? That, that is, we who have been justified by faith in Jesus Christ, quote, Rejoice in hope of the glory of God. What does that mean? 
Well, if in an attempt to answer that question, you were to refer to the study Bible that I have recommended to you in the past, and many of you now have a copy of, which is the MacArthur Study Bible, you would find the following explanatory note concerning the last part of verse 2 in Romans 5. Here's what John MacArthur says concerning that passage. He says this, quote, The believer's ultimate destiny is to share in the very glory of God. The believer's ultimate destiny is to share in the very glory of God. Now, I want you to know that after having studied through this passage, I am also persuaded that that is what Paul is getting at here at the end of verse 2. So then you could say what Paul is talking about is a hope, a hope that is exclusively for Christians or those who are justified. It is a hope that they rejoice in. It is the hope of one day sharing in the very glory of God. But having said that, you may now be wondering, what does it mean exactly for someone to share in the glory of God? So what I want to do is take a little time this morning to briefly explain this amazing concept with you and show you why I believe that is what Paul intends here. That is what he is saying. But before we do that, I just want to make a few quick comments concerning the word hope near the end of verse 2. Look back in your Bibles. Look at God's word. Do you see the word hope there? Do you see it? I want to talk to you just quickly about that. According to the Dictionary of Biblical Languages, the Greek word that is translated hope here in our English Bibles, that Greek word could be understood this way as a, quote, looking forward to in confident expectation. Looking forward to in confident expectation. Or to say it another way, it simply means to expect with confidence. To expect with confidence. So then this hope Paul speaks of, the hope of the glory of God, it is not wishful thinking. It is not wishful thinking. But rather it is something the Christian, the one who has been justified by faith in Christ, it is something they can look forward to and anticipate with a sense of certainty or assurance. Okay? They should have a confident expectation of it. They trust that it is going to occur, and they rejoice in this hope, in the hope of the glory of God. And I want to just take a moment and point that out because we use the hope to refer to something that, we typically use the word hope, to refer to something that we want or desire but are not quite positive or sure that we will receive. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like we might say, I hope I get that for Christmas. Okay? We're not positive. We don't have a confident expectation. It's just a wish. It's a desire. Or we might say, I hope that the weather is better next week. Do you understand what I'm saying? That is not the right way to understand Paul's use of this Greek word translated hope here in Romans. It is a confident expectation. All right? That's critical as we move forward. So now, the object of the Christian's hope, the object of their hope, The subject of their hope is the glory of God. It is the glory of God. So now we need to ask what the glory of God is that Paul refers to 
in this verse, in this particular section of Romans? Well, here are a few ways that it has been explained by Bible teachers, and they are basically all getting at the same idea, but they say it a little differently. Sometimes it's a little more complex, sometimes less complex, so I'll give you a little bit of both so you can get a flavor of what or how you should understand Paul's use of the glory of God here. It has been said that the glory of God, just listen, the glory of God is the expression of his person. The expression of his person is the, here's some fancy words, the intrinsic revelation of himself. The intrinsic revelation of himself. It's who he is on display. The glory of God has also been said to be this. It is his magnificence or splendor. All right? Can you relate to that? Magnificence or splendor, his magnificence or splendor on display through his perfections. Okay? And here's another way, and it might be the simplest to understand. The glory of God is the beauty. You guys can relate to that, right? The beauty that emanates from, oh, there's another word we don't typically use. So just think of comes forth from. It is the beauty that comes forth from his perfect character. His perfect character. From all that he is. All right, so what do I mean? So, I mean this. When you think of the awesomeness, and that's such an appropriate word to use in reference to God. When you think of the awesomeness of God's perfect love, righteousness, goodness, justice, faithfulness, when you think of that, you could think of the glory of God. Okay? The glory of God. And sometimes we use the word glory, like we read the text this morning, that word glory, doxa in the Greek, is sometimes just referred to or used to refer to honor. Honor. So someone might say, glory to God in the highest, right? That's what they, they shouted out as we read in Luke. That's honor and praise to him, all majesty to him. Okay? But here we're talking more about, we're talking about his honor, but we're talking about his honor really being put on display, his magnificence being put on display. And how is that? How is it displayed? It's displayed through who he is, his love, his mercy, his grace. That's what makes God glorious, his power. You with me? This side is with me. Okay, and you two over there, excellent. Oh, you meant collectively. Oh, okay, you too, that side. Excellent. So you with me? We understand what the glory of God. Now, remember what I said about hope. Remember what I said about the glory of God. I'm building something here, okay? Now, follow me. This is good. This is good. It'll be good for your soul, good for your heart. According to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, when you think about Jesus Christ, any of you thinking about Jesus Christ today? When you think about Jesus Christ, you should also think about the glory of God. The glory of God. Let me show you. I'll begin in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. I'm just going to read the first three verses for context. The writer of Hebrews puts this here. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us 
by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Here it is, verse 3. He, who is he? Jesus, the Son of God. He is the radiance of the, what? Glory of God. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Listen, Jesus, the writer says, is the radiance of the glory of God. Jesus, God in the flesh, is the gleaming brightness. That's radiance. He's the gleaming brightness of God's glory. We can see the glory of God, the beauty and splendor and majesty of who God is. We can see that in the person of who? Jesus Christ. We see the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ. Are you with me? Okay. Talked about hope. Talked about the glory of God. Talked about the glory of God in Jesus Christ. You ready? Romans 8. In Romans 8, and we're going to cover this chapter in detail when we eventually get there and sometime in the future. Paul informs his readers, okay, in this chapter. I'm not going to, you can turn there, no problem, but we're not going to pick out any particular passages. But he informs his readers there in that chapter that all who have been justified by God, all who have been justified by God will be, it's a certainty, will be glorified. Glorified by God. Now just stay with me. Don't lose, don't lose me here. They will be glorified by God. What does that mean? It means that Christians will be made glorious. Okay, in the most simplest terms. That means they will be made beautiful. I'm not, I'm not talking about physical appearance so much. They will be made beautiful in a way that inspires wonder and joy. They will be glorified, made beautiful in a way that inspires wonder and joy. You with me? They will be glorified. All those who are justified will be, no doubt about it, according to the word of God, glorified. Well, how is that, you ask? Well, we learn in Romans 8, they're going to be given new physical bodies. No amens for that. And I was waiting for that. Come on now. Okay, but now normally when we think of that, right, we think of physical bodies, we think, oh, Lord, I cannot wait. Physical bodies without all the ailments, without all the problems, right? Immortal, unbreakable. You know, what you thought you were as a youth, you will actually become if you are justified (laughs) when you are glorified. You will become that one day, right? Beautiful. Okay, so we think of that, but here's what's going to be beautiful about these new glorified bodies. They will be free from the corruption of the disease of sin, of sin. They will be free from it, free. You can go get a test at the doctor. They won't find any sin in you. Can you imagine? No sin at all, because the great physician will take it all away. And how are we going to be glorified? We will be perfectly, listen, perfectly conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. So both those passages I'm talking about are Romans 8.23, Romans 8.29. Again, we'll cover that in detail because that's another woo chapter. 
okay, in the book of Romans. They're just one after another. He just keeps giving it to you. But given new glorified bodies and conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, Romans 8, 29. That means we will be transformed, if you will, into the image of Jesus Christ. Okay, so what does that mean? What does that mean? Does that mean we're all going to look like Jesus physically? No, that doesn't mean that. What it means, beloved, is that we will all who are justified and will be glorified will reflect his holy character. We will reflect his holy character. And like Jesus then, they or we who are justified by faith will become, you ready? We will become the radiance of the glory of God. We will become that. We will, in the fullest measure possible for human beings, share in this sense, in the very glory of God. We will share in it because we will be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ who is the radiance of the glory of God. We will wholly display the awesome beauty of who God is, just like His perfect Son does, Jesus Christ. Huh? God's love, listen, God's love and righteousness and goodness and justice and faithfulness will be perfectly seen through us. Whoa, that'll be different. I said perfectly, right? We, it's displayed in us to a degree now because God's doing a transforming work in us, but we are still messed up. We get in the way of it a lot. We dirty that image quite a bit because of sin. But one day that dirt will be removed. God will bring his perfect Windex. No streaks left behind. That mirror will be bright and brilliant, reflecting the very character of of God, just like Jesus Christ does and always has. In our sin, in our corruption, our brokenness, beloved, will be but a memory. Huh? And our battle and struggle with sin will finally and fully be over. It'll be over. This, beloved, is what is referred to as the final glorification of the believer. One writer says this concerning Romans. When we have the image of Christ, then we shall have the glory of God. Glorification for the Christian is putting on to the full the likeness of God himself as it is revealed in Jesus Christ. That is the hope of the glory of God. That is it. And it is a wonderful hope. And the apostle says, we rejoice in it. We rejoice in it. We celebrate this. See, beloved, I believe this is really the same thing the apostle John speaks of in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Remember, we were in that book last year, I think, sometime. We finished that out. 1 John chapter 3, let me remind you of what he says there, the apostle John. In verse 2, beloved, we are God's children now. All those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, they are adopted into his family. They are made his children. They become his children, right? We are his children right now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, that is Christ, we shall be what? Like him. We won't be him. 
We won't be God, but we'll be like, as much as humanity can be, we will be like that perfect one because we shall see him as he is. And let me remind you of one, one writer said concerning 1 John 3, 2, because I think it sums this up very nicely. The whole person, the whole person, body and soul will be made completely flawless. We can't envision it now. It has not yet appeared, but we will finally be holy and completely Christ-like. That's where we're going. That's the end goal. That's the, that's the prize, beloved, that we're waiting for. This is the very purpose for which God has called us in eternity past. This is why he brought us to himself, to be conformed to the image of his son. That's why he saved you. Do you want to know why he saved you? Romans 8, 29, that you might be conformed, transformed into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And when we see Christ, we will instantly be made utterly perfect, for we shall see him as he is. Heaven, listen, is a perfect place. How many want to agree with that statement? Yes, it's a perfect place for people. Now listen, this is where people go wrong. It's a perfect place. So what should I expect to find there? Perfect people. No, well, yes. But if perfect people dwell in this perfect place, and I'm not perfect, and I'm not, I'm not even close, how am I going to get there? Right? So he says, heaven is a perfect place for people made perfect. Made perfect. Who makes them perfect, beloved? God does it. That's his plan. You're not making yourself perfect. You can't. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. What are we going to do? We're broken. We are defiled. We must be made perfect. And the writer goes on to say, as much as glorified humanity can resemble incarnate, exalted deity, we will resemble the Lord. Wow. Another writer adding to that says this, while rejoicing in the present possession of eternal life, and we do, believers also look forward to the undisclosed future still ahead. They know that God's work in and with them is not yet complete. Praise God! Can you imagine if this was it? Heaven would not be a good place. They are assured, beloved, we are assured that the best is yet to come. All of this aligns with what Paul, the Apostle Paul, says in Philippians to the Christians in Philippi, where he writes in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, I am sure of this. I am most confident. What are you so sure of, Paul? I'm sure of this, that he, God, who began a good work in you. He's referring to salvation, beloved. When he who began that good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. What he started, he is going to finish your glorification. You will be transformed perfectly into the image of Jesus Christ. Your battle with sin will be over. Sin will no longer be a part of you. I don't even know how to understand that. 
I mean, I can, I can comprehend it. I get it. I accept what it says. But beloved, every day of my life, sin is there. Huh? How about you? Everyone on this side is perfect already and has been transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Glory to God in the highest. But if that's what it is, God, I don't know, man. I don't know if this is such a good thing. No offense to any of you. Most of you, anyway. No, I'm... uh... Beloved, listen, what Paul is telling us in Romans 5, listen, he's telling us this, that all those who are justified by faith, they will be glorified in the end. They will share in the glory of God. They will be conformed to the image of their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Beloved, as justified sinners, we still fail, right? We still fail to be all that God wants us to be. And it is, it's frustrating, it's tiring. <laughs> it can be downright disheartening and even depressing. But we have a hope. That's what Paul is saying. We have a hope and we rejoice in that hope, fully expecting that one day we will be fully perfected. We will share in the glory of God. There will be no trace of sin left. No remnant of sin in our spirit or our body or in any part of us. We will be made perfectly righteous. As Christians, we can have the assurance because of this that God is never going to reject us. He will never trade us in for a better model. He will never... Yes, thank you, Lord. He's not going to take us back to the store and ask for a refund because we are defective and broken. He is not going to do that. He is not going to send us to hell, even though that is what we all deserve. Rather, through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone, we have, listen, been declared right with God, declared right with Him. We have been granted, given, bestowed a righteous status before God permanently placed into His grace, the grace in which we stand. And God has predetermined and promised to fix us, to repair us, to make us like His Son, Jesus Christ. Why? Well, there are many things that we could say, but one reason would be so that we will be able to dwell with God forever in the wonderful place that he has prepared for us. Guess what? It's a place that is free from sin. Huh? It's a place that's free from sin. So sin can't be there. What's God going to do about that then? Because we're sinners saved by grace. Oh, he's going to have to do something amazing, and he is. He is going to transform us. He's going to change us into the image of the one who bears the radiance of the glory of God. He is the brilliance and the brightness of the glory of God. That's his plan from the beginning. He calls us to himself. He grants us faith. We believe. We are justified. And we are waiting for the hope that one day we will be glorified, made ready to stand in the presence of the Holy One and to sing His praises and to live in fellowship with Him forever. That's God's plan.
It's all about him. It's all his work. It's all his doing. So Christians, we should join with the Apostle Paul, right? We should join with the Apostle Paul. You know that old, we say this all the time, we say, you know, I'm not what I, or now I'm going to mess it up, but I'm not what I am, I'm not what I hope to be, I think I got it right, but I'm not what I used to be, not what I, you know, I'm not what I used to be, but I'm not what I hope to be, that part, I'm not what I hope to be, okay? Beloved, living in this life, in these bodies that are still tainted by sin, right? My brother Lewis calls it old programming, all that old programming, right, that you got growing up, all the programming that keeps getting fed into your eyeballs, into your ears, because you live in a world that's fallen, right, 24-7 all week long, sin, 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 corruption, all that stuff, right? That makes living in this life pretty difficult, living for God, living for Him, right? So we are constantly, as Christians, battling with the world, with our flesh, with the devil, battling. Because inside the Holy Spirit dwells, he wants us to live for God, live for the Lord Jesus Christ. So we find within ourselves the desire, and yet we find also sin. And it is a battle. It is for the Christian. For the one who's not a Christian, he doesn't have the Spirit of God living inside of him, it's no battle at all. He's good with sin. He's all right with it. The only thing he's concerned about is not getting caught or the consequences of sin or jail time, those kind of things. But the Christian is concerned. He doesn't want to sin. It grieves his heart. And beloved, this is a, it's a fight, right? And it can become discouraging at times. You can have seasons where you're like, God, when am I ever going to get out of this mess, man? Why again? Why do I feel the flood of this temptation? Why, God? The Christian has to do at that moment is look back at the Word of God and know, know what his destiny is. Know what his future holds. Know that God is giving him the ability to live now for him, but one day he will remove everything that gets in the way of that. Do you understand what I'm saying? Everything, every trace of sin in our hearts, in our minds, in our bodies, God. And we will be made into the image of Him, our Savior, our Lord. The radiance of the glory of God. That's amazing, beloved. This is not our end. This is not it for us. The world is messed up. We're messed up. But both are going to be restored fully, completely. That is our hope. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you. I thank you for your word, the goodness of it, the grace of it, the mercy, the love of it, God, that you would include these words through your Apostle Paul to us, your people. Father, just remembering now what it says. We who have been justified by faith in Jesus Christ, we have peace with you. We have it. We're not trying to get it. We're not trying to earn it. We're not trying to buy it. We have it. We have a relationship of peace with you. All has been made right. The wrath that was against us has been poured out for us on your Son, Jesus Christ. 
We have been reconciled with you because of his sacrificial death on our behalf and our faith in his death on our behalf. We have peace with you, God. We are now standing in grace. This is where we live. We dwell in your unmerited favor and blessing. Father, we don't, we don't have to get on the treadmill of performance and try to work hard to, to earn your favor, earn your blessing, earn your acceptance. We don't do that. We can't do that. It's impossible for sinners. Like fools, sometimes we think we can't. We can't. How could a sinner earn the acceptance of a holy God? One way, through Jesus Christ, through his death, through his sacrifice, because through him, all of our sins have been forgiven. And because of him and his righteousness, you, God, take that righteousness and you credit it to our very spiritual account. And you give us a righteous status. You stick us right there in that unmerited favor. That is where we dwell now and forever. We remain acceptable to you because of your grace, because of Christ. This is amazing. This is amazing. And not only that, not only that, we're looking at ourselves and we realize, wow, we are messed up. I don't want to be this messed up person. I don't, this is not how I want to go into heaven like this. Messed up with sin and all that yuckiness and mess. Oh, but Father, you, you called us, you justified us for a purpose that you would also glorify us, that you would conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. This is our hope, the hope of the glory of God, that one day we would perfectly share in that glory, that we will be made perfectly righteous. This is amazing. You have declared us righteous, and you will make us righteous so that we may be free from the disease and the decay and the sorrow of sin and that we may be made able to dwell with you in complete and perfect fellowship. Amazing. Father, we thank you. All of this, all of it is by your grace through faith in that one that we celebrate in a special way in this month. That one who came into the world was sent by you, Father. Your son, your beloved son, your perfect son, sent to this world, took on flesh, took on human nature, that he might go to a cross in humanity's place, in our place, that he there might bear the full weight of your wrath and the full weight of the guilt that was ours, that it might be extinguished, that we could be made right with you, declared right with you. Father, this is really too amazing. It's just too amazing. May our hearts and our minds be fixed on this, not just this month, 
but every day of our lives. And Father, as we wait for that ultimate glorification, may we continue to hope in it, look forward to it, and live for you as long as you place us here on this earth. We ask your blessing on these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.